hear me. А вы что, собираетесь на ней жениться? Да. Ух, красота-то какая. Лепота. Таможня дает добро. И вообще не называй меня, пожалуйста, Вероника. Кто я? Вот кто я? Отныне русские земля единый быть. Hi, my name's Ali, and this is the Rus Files Unite podcast, where we watch Russian films and films with a Russian connection. As always, I'm joined by a guest, and today my guest is Nadja. Hi, Nadja. Hi, Ali. Thanks very much for joining me. So before we get started on discussing the film we're going to be watching today, Nadja, could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Right. Well, it's a long story, really, because I've uh, been in love with film for a very, very long time. Uh, I think the first film I saw when, was when I was oh, very little, and it was Oliver Twist, a David Lean film. Uh, but I very soon graduated onto Russian cinema, and that's been one of the great loves of my life. Um, but then I realized that I don't know enough about it. So it's great to be talking with you today. I'll learn a lot as we go along. Super. So um, in your day job, you actually work in film. You're a film critic, is that right? Yes, exactly. I'm a film critic and discovering that writing is much harder than seeing films. So it's a good education. Cool. So um, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that as a film critic, you probably get to see stuff that's maybe a little bit more obscure than is, you know, just on at the uh, provincial multiplex or, or whatever. So just the time of recording, just for listeners, this this will probably go out uh, somewhat later. But um, at the time of recording, this is late August. So what have been your highlights of of the year in terms of films uh, for 2018 so far? Goodness, uh, this has been a really good year. I find that going to film festivals gives you a great chance to see films that you might not be able to see otherwise. And And there are some film festivals that are open to the general public as well. Um, and so, for example, uh, the London Film Festival, um, which is coming up this autumn again, is a great chance for the general public to see films that might not, in fact, be distributed in the UK um, later on. Uh, whereas, you know, other film festivals like Cannes, it's really difficult to see films there if you're not in the business, either as a critic or selling a film, working in the industry. Um, and really, the, there are very few ways to get open access to see films there, apart from the quinzaine des réalisateurs. So festivals for me are the best way to see interesting films. Thankfully, we do have some really brilliant film distributors in the UK, and they do manage to pick up some of the really good ones that, you know, we wouldn't really see otherwise. Um, 
So in terms of films that I've really loved recently or found really interesting, um, one of those is a film called Dovlatov. And that, that is by the son of the um, filmmaker uh, uh, German, Alexei German. That film is, is, is quite stunning. It's very classic. It, it's in no way irreverent, uh, unlike his father's work. Um, and it, it's beautiful. It gives you a sense of the Russian cinema of the 60s and 70s to, to a certain degree. So I was quite struck by that film. Um, not seen any trace of it being shown in the UK, however, so far up for distribution. So not sure. So um, to give people some context, uh, the title character Devlatov was a, a writer in, I guess, mid to late Soviet period. He was um, a journalist, but he had tremendous trouble getting his fiction work published. In fact, he didn't get it published at all. So he had to distribute it by Samizdat, which is um, literally like self-publishing, but not in the modern sense, in the Soviet sense, which basically meant you typed it out on a typewriter you had access to, and then you passed the papers to your friends, um, and they might type it out again, so there were more copies, or they might just distribute the original. So yeah, he kind of built up sort of an underground reputation for himself, but then he fell foul of the Soviet authorities. I don't know a ton about him, but he does sound like an interesting guy. And he ended his life in the US. He emigrated to New York. But yeah, uh, sounds like a fascinating figure. And I'll definitely have to check out that film if I can get hold of it. I think I think definitely it, it is an interesting film. Um, some friends of mine who who know that you're a better than I do said that in a way it was a bit of an authorized film now the, the, this version. So although Dovlatov himself was at odds with the authorities and uh, semi blacklisted by the Writers Union and even his articles sometimes fell foul. Um, of the editor's paper he wrote for. When it came to the film itself, some people have said, oh, well, you know, it's a bit of a heritage film. When the film opens, you can see that the credits say very clearly that, that you know, it's, it's sponsored by, you know, the Ministry of Culture and so on. So, so it's, it's an interesting film because it's a bit double-edged in that sense. It is talking about a writer who has suffered from political repression. And, and also the father of the filmmaker, so Alexei German, himself had, you know, fallen foul of the Soviet authorities at the time. So, so it's interesting to see the film in, in, in that light. It's an authorized film talking about somebody who was a dissident, um, and eventually you know, left the Soviet Union and exiled um, himself to the United States. Um, so, yeah, so there are lots of paradoxes in, in that in seeing that film. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. And, and as you say, there's that kind of tension between, yeah, it's been made with the blessing, if you like, of the current Russian authorities. So, yeah, but it is, it is interesting with that because you had Leviathan, which we really need to cover on this show at, at some point, but that was hugely critical of current state of Russia, and yet that got all sorts of funding from the Russian state. So it's kind of, yeah, it seems like they have a almost a policy of going, well, you know, we 
believe in free speech, so we'll let this stuff happen. Just, you know, I don't know, don't do it too much or something. I, I don't know. It's 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 hard to s- summarize exactly how that how that works, but it is quite surprising given Yes, absolutely, Ali. It's it's an interesting paradox, and also visually, the film is very beautiful. It's really a classically told story. Uh, St. Petersburg, of course, is a dream uh, in the film. So, so, so there is a heritage element to it, but at the same time, there is the pain of the intellectual who is denied freedom of expression, and rather than just buckle under quietly resists yeah and just sort of tries to produce his art and get it to people in the way that he can manage under the circumstances yeah awesome well like i said we'll definitely have to check that out going going back a a bit in terms of like russian film more more generally what are your favorites so i i would say that my my beloved russian film well, there, there are many, of course, and, and, and I would say that Tarkovsky has been the, the greatest influence on me uh, in terms of Russian cinema. But I, I think the film I love most is a film called I Am 20 by a filmmaker called Marlene Khotsiev, if I pronounce that name correctly. And that was um, made in the very late 50s, 1959, 61, but it was censored. And it eventually came out just a year before, I think, kidnapping Caucasian style. And it's, it's a film, of course, with a completely different mood and, and very, very different ideas. There was a big change in the Soviet Union during those years because it was the end of the Khrushchev era and then the beginning of the Brezhnev era. Yeah, that's kind of slightly surprised to hear that a film made in the late 50s would have been censored and then and then released because i tend to think of the khrushchev era as being a bit more easygoing but uh, yeah it's kind of strange how these things sometimes work out well uh, khrushchev got very angry he saw the film and he was very angry because it showed um the reality of a younger generation with very different concerns to the previous one um, so I guess, you know, the beginnings of um, dissatisfaction, um, you know, a lot of questioning about life and what one should do, and also not looking necessarily to parents anymore as a point of reference. And in the version of the film that Khrushchev had so strongly objected to, a young man who's been recently demobilized sees the ghost of his father and asks him for advice about life. And his father, who died many years before, says, well, I can't because look at me, I'm now two years younger than you are now, uh, since his father died young. And he said, how can I give you advice? I've not been there, literally. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I've not been there. So Khrushchev thought that this was absolutely outrageous. The film was eventually uh, shown several years later, but recut. And that particular scene at the time did not appear in the 60s. Uh, The film was re-released in 1989, and that's a three-hour version of the film, or three hours. And it's incredibly beautiful. It is a dream. Awesome. I'll have to search that one out. Um, So the film we're watching today is, the Russian title is Kavkaskaya Pienitsa ili Novia Priklucenia Shurika. So... The translation of that is Caucasian prisoner or Caucasus prisoner or 
The New Adventures of Shurik. So uh, it tends to get translated into English as kidnapping Caucasian style. And actually, the Russian title is a nod to a couple of extremely famous Russian writers of the 19th century. Tolstoy, who, of course, you know, needs needs no introduction. He wrote a short story called Kafkazki Pienik, which is also a Caucasian prisoner or Caucasus prisoner is how you translate that. Um, and Alexander Pushkin, who's kind of has a similar role in Russian literature to Shakespeare has in, in, in English. He's, you know, massively, massively revered, as I'm sure many of you will know, uh, wrote a uh, a poem of the same title a number of years uh, even before that. So it's a very famous title, but they give it a bit of a twist for this film because the title Kafkaski Plyennik that Tolstoy and Pushkin used is a male prisoner, whereas Kafkaska Plyennitsa indicates uh, that the prisoner is a woman, which, you know, once you translate that into English, it totally loses any distinction, which is probably why they've gone with a sort of simplified change title, you know, kidnapping Caucasian style. So that's kind of a bit of a history of the of the title, which, you know, I, I guess it goes to show that sometimes these things automatically don't translate very well, but hopefully that won't mess too much with our enjoyment of the of the film. Um, so that's quite a long-winded introduction from me, so I apologise for that. Um, but Nadia, this is a film that you've seen already, is that right? Oh yes, I've seen it and I've loved it. <laughs> Super. I guess if you'd hated it, you wouldn't have agreed to come on the show or you would have suggested something else to, to watch. So um, how did you become introduced to this film? Well... Really through you, because my education in terms of Russian cinema has been so classical, and I hadn't for one minute stopped to consider that there's a whole genre of Russian comedies from the 60s um, that could be readily enjoyed here in the UK uh, without having to go into some you know obscure state archive. So when you mentioned the film, I just thought, wow, treasure trove. Yes, it's it tends to be the artier end of things that, that travel. And, and, you know, generally, I think it's fair to say that, that tragedy and drama is more accessible than, uh, than comedy. Although the style of this film, it's quite a broad comedy. So, you know, that tends to work better across cultures than, you know, more subtle kind of stuff that's d- dependent on on knowing huge amounts of the of the culture so so yeah so that's kind of what we're in for today it's 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 quite a broad affair this is actually the second in a series of of three films with this one central character called Shurik who's you know this kind of geeky in some of the films he's a scientist in this one he's more of a like a linguist but Generally, he's a brainy but sort of clueless guy. So, you know, he's just a fun character to follow. Yeah, absolutely. So we should probably go and watch the film. So we say a word of Russian, and that word of Russian is payekhali. Now, the reason we say that for new listeners is that is what Yuri Gagarin said when he blasted off to become the first man in space. And it basically means... Off we go, or we're off. So, three, two, one. Payakali!
we're back. Nadja and I have just watched Kafkaskaya Plienitsa, Prisoner of the Caucasus, or Kidnapping Caucasian Style, directed by Leonid Gaidai. And before we discuss what we thought of the film, over to Nadja for the summary of the plot. Now, spoiler alert, if you don't want to know what happens, probably pause and go away and watch the film if you haven't already. So, with that said... Over to you, Nadia. So it's an absolutely goofy and charming film. I think it really makes fun of, of students, definitely of ethnologists. And the film opens with a uh, man and a donkey unable to progress on a sun sunlit road, completely parched landscape. Um, and he meets a, an ambulance driver there. Uh, or Yes, it is an ambulance driver, isn't it? It is, yes. <laughs> Yes, and uh, and he makes a new friend, but they're soon distracted by this this uh, wonderful young woman who walks by. I has, hasten to add that they they're not leering at her; they're simply impressed. But the truck and the donkey are even more impressed because they were broken down, um, and suddenly both of them just zoom off and follow the young woman. So that's the <laughs> opener to Nina's appearance. Um, and the, uh, man on the donkey is a blonde, naive, and friendly student called Shurik. And he's there to do research, uh, in a region which is really distinguished primarily by brilliant wines. Um, and wine makes, um, a recurring appearance throughout the film because every opportunity somebody cracks open a bottle and gets oh, Shurik yes, to drink. Yeah. <laughs> but of course, yes, Shurik doesn't drink, or he says he doesn't. Um, so of course, there are really unfortunate consequences as a result. Um, so everything should seem sunny there. It looks like the opening of 1960s film with a nice little love story. But of course, there are complications. Uh, and the complication is that the Caucasus is a bit of a different region, perhaps far away from the uh, feminist norms of Moscow. And uh, Nina finds herself pursued by the local grandee who's desperately intent on marrying her. Yes, Comrade Sakhov, who's kind of like, I guess it's never, maybe it's never stated what his official position is, but he's essentially the mayor is the role he plays in the story. But yes, he's very much got his eye on Nina, even though he's, I don't know, 50, maybe like late 40s to be generous. To be very generous. So, I mean, the, the thing is, of course, he's a very unsophisticated man. But on the other hand, again, I mean, the tone of the film is very gentle and sweet. So, so there isn't any leering as such. Uh, but it's very lucid about power. And of course, this man has disproportionate power in the community. And it's really quite an archaic system. And yeah. Yeah, I I love the scene where he's in the police office after Shurik's first kind of like accidental drunken rampage and the policeman like writes up the report just as it happened and you know Shurik's in big trouble and Sakhov says something like, "Well, yeah, that is exactly what happened, but you know, from a certain point of view, you know, our guest here is—he's—he's um, he's an intellectual, and his his work is an intellectual work. So, as he was studying 
studying toasts and he got drunk as a result of studying toasts. This could be viewed as a, as an industrial accident, which I just thought was <laughs> hilarious. So yeah, he might be quite rustic, but he's 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 definitely got a very agile mind and yeah, it's a difficult character because he's he's obviously he is super creepy in wanting to marry Nina against her will in the whole bride kidnapping thing. But yeah, he he does have a like Yes, and also there's such a strong element of political satire in all that. And, mm. and, and there too, exactly in the same way that he rewrites history in a, in a minor way in, in that incident is exactly the kind of accommodations that people have to do on an everyday basis in inflexible political systems. Um, so at one point he says, this is bad apolitical reasoning. And <laughs> it's such a funny way of putting things. Yeah, his turn of phrase is is excellent. And another thing that kind of um, reflected, I guess, the reality in Soviet life is when he and Nina's uncle, comrade Jabril, are essentially bargaining and bartering over the the cost at which Jabril was going to sell Nina, essentially, which is, you know, it's horrible, but... The fact that Sahov throws in a um, oh, I forget what it is. It's oh, a, it's, it's such. A, it's, I think it, it's a fridge. It's like a Finnish-made fridge. Yes. And yeah. <laughs> anyone who knows a little bit about perceptions of like Soviet-made manufacturing goods knows that the Soviets themselves, if stuff was made outside of the Soviet Union, so in the West, ideally, but but even in other Warsaw Pact countries, that was regarded as. You know, that's going to be quality stuff. Stuff made in the Soviet Union, huh, a bit shoddy. So if we can get foreign stuff, we'll we'll get it. So that's kind of like, it's like a real incentive that he's throwing in like this Finnish appliance, which is just absolutely funny that that made it into the film. Yes, and, and then it really spins in all sorts of directions because at one point they're arguing and because, you know, sheep are also going to be thrown into the bargaining process. And, you know... Yeah, that's sort of like the main focus of the deal, isn't it? Like how many it's going to be. Yes, and then and then the uncle says, uh, well, you know, don't mix your sheep with those of the state. And <laughs> Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. and then Sakov says, well, I'm placed here to keep a watch over the state's interests. Um so so there's, you know, it's it's pretty strong political satire and I'm very, you know, I'm fascinated, you know, that that it was it was passed. Yeah, I guess it's just in that we talked about it a little bit in part one that sort of generally speaking opening up under Khrushchev before things kind of closed down a bit more under Brezhnev I mean generalizing because as as we discussed in part one that wasn't always the case and it didn't work quite as simply as that exactly um, and it's very interesting that Brezhnev because he liked Leonid Gaidai even though the censors really didn't want to release this film Brezhnev approved it yeah, I think I read that somewhere as well. That he was basically like, yeah, I think it's funny. So, yeah. I think also it's a bit of a release valve. So a bit of gentle humor about the difficulties of life, I guess, mitigates things to some degree. Um, so, 
it's yeah it's a compromise you kind of if you if you can say some mild stuff and everyone can laugh at the joke then you're not going to get so frustrated or you're going to at least keep a lid on those frustrations maybe i mean it's hard to talk about like with you know having not lived in a system like that but but yeah it is interesting that a certain amount was allowed yes Yes, and in, and in the other Gaidai films as well. So it's a recurring theme, you know, little digs here and there about state bureaucracy and, uh, you know, uh, the control of the state and, and also authoritarian characters, um, like, like, like Sarkov. Oh, which reminds me, there was something pretty sure I read did get slightly changed, like right at the end where there's the court case. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the defendants jumps up and and says, our courts are the most humane courts in the world because he's trying to curry favour with the judge. Mm-hmm. And apparently in the original version, it, it was a Sovietsky suit, so Soviet courts. And they were kind of like, no, no, you can't say that. You can say our courts, but you can't say specifically the soviet courts because that's going too far so at least that's what i heard anyway yes yes i think i think that's right yes <laughs> but it was a very funny scene a very funny scene and and also the other episode which i find absolutely subversive is is with the psychiatrists oh yeah i mean particularly with the soviet union's reputation and practice of actually putting dissidents into psychiatric hospitals and going like, well, clearly if you have a problem with the way the system works, you just must be mentally ill because a sane person would just think it's great here. Yes. Um, yeah, so yes. the fact that it's even in there is is perhaps surprising. I, yeah. Really, I, I, absolutely. And it makes this film really an interesting document. Yeah. As well as funny. Yes, which is, you know, the main thing that it's there to do. Yes. Um, we're, we're making it sound like it's primarily this really intellectual film. But no. <laughs> yeah. Far from it. The majority of the film is quite slapstick, so I feel like I have to drop that in there because if you're expecting that it's all this biting, clever satire, that's definitely there, but on the surface it's it's more... Oh, it's so goofy. In fact, it would be carry on, except that there is no innuendo at all. Mm, uh, yeah. I mean, I I thought that very first appearance of, of Nina, I think, yeah, you're probably right to say they weren't exactly leering, but I, I feel like it slightly teeters on the edge of that. I mean, certainly it seems very much like the, almost the camera shots are kind of saying, "Hey, this uh, this is Natalia Vali, isn't she gorgeous?" I mean, I don't know, maybe that's just me, but <laughs> no, I think I think I think she is gorgeous, but also very characterful. Um, and mm. oh yeah, definitely yeah. And so so um, she is so resilient, and and she extricates herself out of trouble by herself. Um, really, at, 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 you know, and, and we won't talk yet about how the film ends, or perhaps we shouldn't, you know, mm, it could mm. be a spoiler, but, you know, the film ends very much on her terms. Yes, yeah, she's head and shoulders above everyone else in the film in terms of resourcefulness. I mean, maybe this is just because I've recently been watching my way through the Jeeves and Worcester uh, adaptations with uh, Fry and Laurie, but she's kind of almost like the way that Jeeves is much smarter than everyone else 
in the vicinity. So with the Nina character, she's not exactly surrounded by idiots, but Yes, well, almost. I, I think there's definitely that sense that, I mean, she, she's one of the few characters to, to maintain their dignity throughout. Yes, yeah. Even, even when she's being, like, dragged around in a sleeping bag that she's been imprisoned with, yeah. Yes, it, it, exactly. And, and it's a very interesting, um, aspect of, let's say, what we could call the male gaze. Because if you see a, a Western film of the same, same period, the way the camera looks at women is, is really very different. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the way she's she's dressed as well, I mean, mostly it's not particularly revealing. I mean, she is in a swimsuit at one point, but it's like a one-piece. And yeah, like as you say, by Western standards, it's quite... Um, modest i guess you'd say she's not objectified and and that's an in- interesting and important point i think in the film but it's it's a it's a comedy it's a very funny film so in saying that she's not mm. objectified i'm talking about the male gaze i mean let, let, let's be clear this is a comedy yeah. it's a farce um yeah. and it's it... and in some ways she is the object of the of the plot yes Yes, absolutely. She's she's at the she's at the centre of, of the plot, and and um... I mean, she's the subject of the title, but kind of stuff being done to her moves the plot along. Um, interestingly, I wonder if it's not simply the, <laughs> I, I feel that the the narration in a way or the narrative is pushed forward by the resourceful foolishness of of, of all of the other characters. So mm. so they bring upon themselves all sorts of misadventures um and and of course <laughs> in terms of misadventures uh, we, we mustn't forget the uh, the three fools the three stooges um they're such <laughs> a great part of the film and so inept um, oh yeah yeah this was like their final film with the with with these three characters but uh, if you watch this and enjoy this one know that they're in several other films, including the previous uh, Shurik uh, one. So, yeah, those three characters are... They're kind of known by their main characteristic. We've got uh, Yevgeny uh, Morganov, who plays a character who in Russian is Bivalny, which is translated as, like, the pro or the experienced one, but, like, I guess literally means something like uh, the one who's been there, like, been there and done that in that sort of sense. <laughs> yes. And he has. Then we've got Gregory uh, Vitsin, who is uh, Trus, which literally just translates as coward. And then, uh, like, rounding out our trio is Yuri Nikulin, who plays Balbies, who's uh, the fool or the dunce, is how I've seen that one uh, translated. He, he's so... my favourite. He's my very favourite. <laughs> yeah. I love him. But they, they all have just such interesting faces. I mean... Um, I haven't seen Laurel and Hardy since, you know, they were showing repeats when I was a, a kid, you know, on the BBC. But the pro, Bivalny, Yevgeny uh, Morganov character, does have a certain amount of um, uh, of, of Hardy about him, uh, down to, you know, the little um, toothbrush moustache. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, th- th- those three are endearingly stupid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Even though ostensibly only one of them is 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 the fool, they're all pretty foolish. They, oh, they are, but w- wonderfully so. And you know that all of their attempts will be doomed to failure, but you don't know exactly how. 
Um, yeah, <laughs> they're going to mess this up, but <laughs> yeah, the exact means of messing it up is is yeah to be decided and and, and quite creative. And they even get their own musical number, which. I love it. It was pretty funny. It it is very funny. If I were a sultan, <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe the point comes down to being a little bit misogynist, but yeah. Or or again, uh, entirely wishful thinking. Yes, because it, it basically like the risk of giving too too much away. The song is es- essentially, you know, if I was a sultan, I could have multiple wives. I could have multiple wives. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, actually, I'm uh, thinking about it. Maybe maybe just one wife would be fine. Uh, actually, I think I'd prefer to stay single. It's kind of like, oh my goodness. <laughs> this is this is not great, but it is, it, it's a good tune. Yes, I think so. I, I, th- I, th- I think that, you know... Um... In terms of the perspective of the film, of course, you, you could possibly denounce a bit the Orientalism of it or the fact that it's really very much, um, let's say, a, a Russian view at its regions. Um, yes, yeah. So there's a slightly colonial aspect to it, uh, which, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk to a Georgian or a, an Armenian or Azerbaijani or or even from the North Caucasus that is still part of the Russian Federation, the Chechens. There's, I mean, there's so many different ethnic groups. In fact, that's like a plot point of the narration is we have an opening narration, which I'm often like as a rule, not a fan of. But this one's it's really quite good because it has quite an ironic tone. And it, essentially, the narrator is saying... You know, Shurik swears that this is this is what happened, but you know, it it could all be made up. And he didn't say exactly which region it happened. It was in one of the mountainous ones, and we we can't say exactly where it is because that would just be unfair to all the other places where it might have happened. So I think they kind of get around the like we're specifically making fun of this ethnic group or that ethnic group by generally just kind of making fun of everyone but also making fun of the naive guy from moscow or st petersburg or at least like one of the russian metropolises who's kind of turning up and just being a bit clueless so kind of it gets away with it by making fun of everyone at least that's how i felt yes you're absolutely right that's spot on and also it makes fun of the intellectual so 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 you know it turns the tables a bit in that respect as well so it makes fun of 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 men it makes fun of students intellectuals grandees you know in a way of of anybody who is in a bit of a position of power, uh, it turns the tables on them a bit. So, so I think that's what the you know, and and I think it's a constant in Gaidai's films that there is that skepticism. Mm. You know, the man of the people or the woman of the people laughing at the person with pretensions or, you know, higher status. Yeah, I mean, definitely, as we as we've said, Nina is the is the most compelling and admirable character but yeah she's probably the easiest to relate to any i would have said because sure it's funny but you don't necessarily want to be that guy exactly and one thing i found so funny i mean it was unintentional of course but it's it's his hair because Mm. he's meant to be blonde and he's obviously not really blonde but the degrees of blondness change back and forth through the film so mm. so you know obviously they didn't film the same uh, order as 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 the story which means that at one point he's dark blonde then lighter blonde then it switches 
<laughs> from one to the next. Yeah, and just filming outdoors. I mean, I think some of the scenes were back projections, but yes. yeah, just being out out of doors in a sunny place. Like it turns out, I think I read that it was actually shot in Crimea rather than the Caucasus region itself. But um, not that you'd know if you're a, if you're an untrained trained eye. But yeah, it's probably it had an effect on that uh, continuity error. But yeah, which is yeah pretty funny. Um, actually, it's such a throwaway gag, but actually, yeah, maybe I'm not going to say that. Mm-hmm. There's there's an excellent throwaway gag involving Shurik and his appearance, but I, I think I'll just leave you to discover that one. <laughs> yes, better that way. Absolutely. And And can we talk about the Swan Lake scene? Sure, yeah. Because um, it, 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 it's something... I, I thought it was wonderful. So, so I, I guess it's, it's the moment of comeuppance. And in, in, in this film and in other Gaidai films, there's often a sequence which involves not only music, but a lot of film references and, and the filming style changes altogether. Mm. And for a moment, I felt that I was watching a Powell and Pressburger film. Um, especially when there is the, 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 the big close up on, um, Nina's face you know, as the avenging angel, almost. And it's strangely effective, because I thought it was almost spine-chilling at one point, because then the gravity of the situation, it it is a farce, but there's that one moment of, of justice and redemption where there is an insight and an understanding of how bad this situation really was, or would have been in real life. Yeah, which I guess if I had one big concern about recommending this film is is that it generally treats this subject which is very serious in a very light-hearted way but yeah i i think yeah perhaps on on further reflection and as you've pointed out there yeah it does point out the gravity at the end and yes as you say it goes very dark for maybe only like three or four minutes mm-hmm. but and like props to Vladimir Etush, I guess that's how you pronounce it, who plays Sakhov, because he does a really good job of, of doing abject terror because he's been quite suave in a slightly slimy way the rest of the film. And, you know, here he's just, he's really at his wit's end and worried that something very nasty is going to happen to him. Yes, that he's going to be dragged into the depths of hell. Yeah. Yeah, it works very well. And he knows all the way through the film that what he's doing is is really bad because he's keen to make sure that nobody knows that it's him until the actual wedding day. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's not like he thinks the custom is okay. He's just, like, blinded by the fact that he really likes Nina or is really keen to have a beautiful young bride. Yeah, it's kind of gross. Yes, Yes, it, it 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 is, and and stories like these do happen. So mm, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just like the film, this the 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 podcast has taken a dark turn. Actually, there was one other thing in the sort of slightly queasy element that I wanted to mention. It's the bit where, again, well into the spoiler section, but uh, where Nina is quote-unquote, rescued by by Shurik. And this is the first time she's seen him since his party in the kidnapping, which, you know, is a long story, but you have to watch the film, how he becomes an accomplice. But, and she's just, like, laying into him verbally and just saying, you know, 
you traitor, you Judas, blah, 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 all these different things. And then he just like grabs her and kisses her. And it's just like, oh, did you really need to do that film? Uh, But it's a 50 year old movie and there are plenty of times in Hollywood movies where that essential exact same thing happens. Yes. I'm really angry with you, says woman. Man just goes, I don't care because I think you're hot. So I'm just going to kiss you whether you like it or not. Here we go. Yes, exactly. I mean, he mistakes, obviously, her anger as a proof of love. And, and it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's very confused. Uh, but to give her credit is, you know, she's not mollified by that in the least. No. So, no. you know, she, she maintains her straight line throughout. Uh, she doesn't deviate from her own sense of integrity and she doesn't pander to anybody and she's not influenced by anyone either, I think. Yeah, and you get the impression at the end that she and Shurik don't ultimately end up together, which is nice as a change of pace. Exactly, exactly. I really, I really like that last scene because it's ambiguous. You almost have to watch that last scene with the bus and the donkey twice mm. in order to, to to understand the conclusion. So you know, you could you could say it's quite a progressive film in 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 that in that sense. And and of course, we haven't talked about that lovely song, the bear song. Oh yes, yeah. <laughs> a friend of mine was telling me that she actually sings that st- song to her children uh, and that it's a very, very popular song still, even now. Yeah, well, it's it, it's a great tune. I was humming it to myself after I finished watching the film today without realising that that's what it was. I was like, oh yeah, that's that. It's it's catchy. Are you going to sing it for us? No, I don't think anyone <laughs> wants that. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right <laughs> yeah i i don't know maybe we should have a twitter poll actually choosing to watch this film was the result of a a, a twitter poll that we did so it you know if you're if you're on there it's uh, definitely worth uh following me obviously and uh yeah i'll follow you back so that's at russophiles you so yeah occasionally i do polls on there about what we should watch so so yes um but anyway, sorry, um, like a little announcement from the sponsor there or something. <laughs> Actually, that in a funny way reminds me of one thing that I made a note of when I was watching it, but um didn't know quite how I was going to bring it into the discussion. But there's actually some, even some product placement that goes on in this Soviet produced film, which you kind of assume that there wouldn't be, but you've got posters for Aeroflot appearing quite a bit so so clearly they like part of the brief was you know not enough people are using uh, are using the Aeroflot service so we uh, we need them to be doing that so so hey here's here's some posters it's very true and and at the time it had that very well it was renowned for its um safety record Mm, <laughs> quote yeah, unquote yeah. yes but in terms of product placement there's one thing i found extraordinary in another guy dive film and, and maybe you can help me make sense of it it's it's in his ivan the terrible film oh yes yeah there's a packet of marlboros really i had totally forgotten about that or like didn't twig that that was weird yeah yeah and 1973 so you would have assumed it was not yet the time for <laughs> a pack of Marlboros to be so blatantly displayed on screen. How weird. Yeah, because I don't really know exactly the arrangement for stuff like that, because I know there were, like, shops that you could go to that were 
specifically like party member only shops mm-hmm. but i didn't i don't know whether they have western goods and i know there were also shops that western or you know non-soviet tourists could go into yes that's right and i didn't know whether they had products like that in because it was a good way of getting hard currency even if it wasn't you know totally down the line ideologically but but yeah i guess that would kind of be the explanation for that but uh, but yeah as you as you were mentioning ivan vasilievich changes professions which which we also covered in a in a, in a previous episode mm. how would you rank the two of these films next to each other do you have a favorite out of the two because clearly you you like this one a lot but what do you think of that one I like that one even better. Yeah, I think me too. Yes. I guess it's more sophisticated. It chooses a maybe a richer theme. I I think I think we've described in a way the limitations of kidnapping Caucasian mm. style. You know, the the choice of plot, um the, you know, let's say regional colonial theme and so on. So so it has inbuilt limitations, but with the I think the terrible film, I mean, you know, I mean, it brings in science fiction, but also, you know, uh, Russian nationalism, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that whole thing about, you know, the wars with Sweden. It's, yeah, it, it's, it's actually fairly transgressive, you know, and, and it makes fun of icons. Not in a bad way, but still, actually, at one point, literally an icon is stolen. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. And you have all the stuff of the, like, parodies of the Eisenstein, Ivan the Terrible. Like, there's there's one bit where you see Ivan in, the, in modern Moscow and he, he's just casting this ominous shadow. Like, and I think it's in the... St- like the corridor of one of the communal apartment buildings and it's just really funny seeing because the whole shadow play is so much part of the look of the Eisenstein film to see somebody transpose that into like a modern like quite banal setting is is really funny it's and it's just like it's it's sort of a split second joke but I really appreciate them kind of sneaking that in there oh I I loved it Absolutely. And, and also you get to see so much of ordinary life, you know, all the prams cluttering up the hallway of the building. Uh, you know, the, the, the petty building manager, um, you know, the dentist who's holding cash that maybe he shouldn't have in his flat. And, and Yuri Yakovlev's double performance is, is so, is so good in that. I mean, he's, he's such a fantastic comic actor. He just, <laughs> And he's doing two totally different things in those two performances. It's, you know, I mean, you'd expect that from a good actor, but lots of actors get stuck doing very similar things again and again. But he gets to do two totally different things in the same film, which is which is really fun to watch. Yes, because he is the perfect Ivan the Terrible. Uh, you know, he really is so convincing, but also convincing as a complete idiot. So, so, so both... Yeah, a, quite a sort of snivelling, like bureaucratic and yeah just the because he's quite an imposing guy physically but when he's playing the apartment manager Ivan Bunshar he's he's kind of stooped mm. over and kind of grovelly and you know as Ivan he's you know stretched up to his full height and kind of puffing his chest out and it's 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 just really funny to watch it, it is funny to watch and of course the Shurik is also in the mm. film. I guess we should call him Alexander Demi- Demianenko. Is that right? Yes. 
And there he is in blonde. His trademark blondness is gone, and you can even see a few traces of grey yeah. hair. He's not quite the mad scientist there, but almost. But it is kind of funny in both of those films, and I haven't seen Operation Y, which is the the first of the Shurik films. I haven't seen that all the way through. I've just seen bits, but he's kind of almost like sort of in the background in his own film, like other people kind of steal the show. Yes, absolutely. It is ensemble playing. All of those films are ensemble playing, I would say. Yeah. And it works very it works very well because you know it, they all bounce off um against each other and he's funny because other people are not funny or you know they they they're acting straight he's acting goofy the thief in the film is fantastic too. Oh yeah, yeah, he's he's great. I've forgotten the the name of the the actor. I think he's one of the one of the few guys from that cast who's at least at the time of recording still with us because i think he's a slightly younger guy but yeah he's he's fantastic he sort of reminds me a little bit of of one of the sort of cheekier michael palin characters in some of the python stuff oh yes yes oh i can see absolutely this and there's something there's a certain facial resemblance as, as well but uh yes but having said that Maybe I just have pythons on on the brain because Yuri Yakovlev. There's something about him that reminds me a bit of John Cleese in terms of that yes. very serious, like imposing physique that works fantastically for comedy, even though it seems like it shouldn't. I agree. I, I, it's it, it's funny, but but it does capture that. You know, it's it, it's interesting because it was the same era. Mm, yes. Yeah. Just a different context, maybe slightly different jokes, but there are there are some some parallels and music as well because the, the the music in all of these films is 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 pretty important. Oh yeah, you know, from the jaunty uh, little tunes to the big dramatic orchestral pieces, it works very well. Yes, I I've forgotten the classical piece of music that they use in the. I mean, presumably it'd be. It would be Tchaikovsky, seeing as it's it's Swan Lake. But oh yes, it it is Swan Lake. It is that that's right. Yes. Like <laughs> thinking on my feet there. Uh, yes, but it's 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 really well chosen and it just works well. And to emphasize that it's the 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 dark passages. Mm. <laughs> you know, it, it it's it's not the 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 jaunty um, white swans. It is the black swan moment. Yeah. Awesome. So, I think we've done a fairly thorough job of covering this film and it's it's really interesting to talk to somebody else about it because I was worried I wasn't going to have a ton to say because on the surface it just seems like it's just a knockabout comedy but clearly it's had a longevity which suggests that there's more to it and I think we've done a you know patting ourselves on the back here but done a reasonably good job of like <laughs> bringing it to the surface and I, yeah definitely worth worth checking that one out and uh, Ivan Vasilievich changes professions just as much as anything to kind of challenge the perception that, you know, Russians aren't necessarily known in the West for their sense of humour, which is totally unfair because, they, you know, they can really be just as funny as anyone else. Absolutely. But also it, it makes you realise how few films we, we, we get to see from other mm. countries mm. in general. And then, you know, it's fascinating to see all these scenes because it... I mean, they constantly refer to to the reality of people's daily lives in one way or the other, even in joke mm, form. Yeah, yeah. And and often comedies take place in a more 
mundane setting than perhaps like dramas or tragedies. I mean, obviously there are plenty of dramas or tragedies that are in regular, ordinary life, but in some ways they can be easier to relate to just, you know, because they're not as heavy. Yes, absolutely. But yeah, awesome. So before we go, thank you very much for, for being on the show, Nadia. Now, if people want to check out your reviews online, where would they go to find those? Well, I write for a number of, of sites. One of those is My Film Club, which is also a brilliant app, which you can download from the Apple or Google stores, I hasten to add. And it, it actually um, shows you what films are playing in your vicinity, pretty much wherever you are. And so you can book directly and you can check out the reviews and see film news. So there, there's that. And I also write for Scenes Journal and they are really very focused on writing for film. And I specialize in doing interviews with film directors, film directors who also write their own scripts. So there's a whole series of my interviews on their um, website. That's scenesjournal.com. And then my own archive site, which is called Kinephile, kinephile.com. But most importantly, I guess, apart from my film club, I'm on Twitter at Nadia B. And so I regularly update that one. Awesome. We'll definitely have to check those out and I'll make sure those are in the show notes. So thanks again, Nadia, for being on the show. Thank you so much. Really appreciated your insight. <laughs> Thank you. And yeah, that's all for, for this time. Das Vidanya, folks. Das Vidanya. Bye. So that's it for this episode. But before I go, I'd like to thank Sasha Ilukovich and the highly skilled migrants for the use of their song Cold in our intro. You can find that song and the rest of their back catalogue on Bandcamp and Spotify. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us by leaving a rating at Apple Podcasts or at podchaser.com. That second one, Podchaser, even lets you rate individual episodes. So if this episode particularly stood out to you, you can let other listeners know that you enjoyed it. Recommending the show on social media is hugely helpful as well. If you can spare a moment or two to do that, it would really make my day. Thank you. Thank you very much. Speaking of social media, please find us and say hi on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. You can also drop us a line at roosfilesunite at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Take care of yourselves and bye for now. За весенним ливнем Раньше придет рассвет И для двоих счастливых Много-много лет Будут сверкать зорницы